Thank you. Good morning, church. It's a pleasure and a delight to be here this morning with you. In 1997, the Associated Press ran a story about a Massachusetts store worker who went into the restroom and found a $20 bill laying on the floor. Of course, she thought it was her lucky day. She picked it up, and then she opened it, and inside that folded $20 bill was a note. And on one side of the note, it said, help, kidnapped, call highway patrol. On the other side of the note, or of that note, was two Oklahoma-listed phone numbers along with the words, my Ford van, cream and blue, Oklahoma. Of course, they quickly contacted the police. The police verified that <clears throat> those phone numbers were registered to an elderly couple in Oklahoma named Floyd and Rita Rupp. <clears throat> and so they quickly put out an all-points bulletin, published their, their pictures and their profiles for everyone. And then within 24 hours, a phone call was received at the office where Mr. Rupp worked. The office manager picked up that phone call. And on the other side of the line, the words came, Hi, I'm staring at a wonderful ocean view from my hotel window. How are things at the office? The office manager recognized that that was Mr. Ruff. And he said, you have no idea what's going on, do you? And of course, he had no idea. In fact, when, when they figured out what was going on, they were thoroughly embarrassed. You know, what happened is Mrs. Ruff, Rita, was supposed to drive from Massachusetts to Oklahoma by herself. And that filled her full of fear. And, and so she was so afraid that she wrote that kidnap note, folded it up in that $20 bill, stuck it in her purse. And then when she went into the restroom of the store in Massachusetts, it accidentally fell out. And that started that whole process. That whole process. Isn't it interesting that when our fears... And our attempts to cover up those fears with all kinds of security blankets come out. Sometimes it just seems silly. All of us have fears, right? If you don't see me afterwards, I'll give you some. We're all afraid. In fact, many of our fears are actually downright silly, if you think about it. But there are some fears that are good and some fears that are healthy. Some fears that are good for us. One of those fears that are good and healthy, perhaps underestimated and undercalled in our lives, is the fact that we are to fear God. Now, some of you cringe at the thought that somehow we are to relate to God with fear, and yet the truth is one significant verse in the Scriptures about biblical wisdom reminds us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so, yes, we are to relate to God in fear. And so the question I want to ask you this morning to wrestle with as we look at the story we're about to is do we have a healthy fear of God? Do we have a healthy fear of God? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. You might need to use your concordance to get there. I've got my entire introduction for you to find Jonah chapter 1. We have kicked off a, a study in Jonah last week, and you remember Jonah last week was asked by God to get up and to go to Nineveh to preach to those pagans there. But what did Jonah do? Instead of obeying, he fled. He fled. He went down to Joppa. He got a boat. He got on the ship, and he's fleeing from the presence of God. And so that was Jonah's response to the command of God. Today, as we come to the rest of the chapter 1 story, we're going to see God's response to Jonah's disobedience. 
And as we look at that story, I want to point out two characters that we're going to look at in depth. The first character is obviously Jonah, but the second character are the sailors. We're going to look at both of them, and we're going to try to see who is it that truly has a healthy fear of God. And I think the answer might surprise you. Who is it that has a healthy fear of God? And as we look at this story, the truth that I want to leave with you this morning from verses 4 through 17 is that reverent fear is a healthy part of submissive faith. Reverent fear is a healthy part of submissive faith. I want to share with you three characteristics of people who have a healthy fear of God. And the first characteristic is that those are the kind of people who seek God with their questions. Notice, starting in verse number four. By the way, have you got to Jonah chapter one? I can't, my, I'm done with my introduction. I got to go. Ready? All right. Chapter one, starting in verse number four. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. <clears throat> and they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? When we last left the story last week, Jonah is in a boat. He's on the run away from God. And here we see God's response. To a running prophet, what does God do? He hurls a wind onto the Mediterranean Sea. And that wind kicks up a storm that threatens to destroy the ship. As we go through this book, by the way, I can encourage you, take a note of all of the words that are repeated over and over again. There are a lot of them. For example, the word hurl here is repeated four times in this one chapter alone. I don't know what you do with your Bibles. Underline it, circle it, your journal, take some kind of note. Hurl seems to be repeated over and over again. The word hurl is used by, uh, in 1 Samuel when King Saul takes a javelin and he throws it at David. You remember that story? King Saul wasn't trying to scare David. He wasn't trying to nick David in the shoulder. He was trying to pin David to the wall. That's the word hurl. It's the throwing of a javelin to pin somebody against a wall. That's the hurl. And God hurls a storm onto the ship. And when God hurls a storm, he never misses, does he? He hits Jonah smack dab in the middle of that sea and that boat is threatening to capsize, to be destroyed. But let's look at our two characters. Let's start with Jonah. Where's Jonah as God hurls this storm on this sea? Where's Jonah? He's sleeping. He is down in the inner part of the ship, and he's laid down to sleep. By the way, I don't know if you noticed this, but the word down is repeated many times. In verse number five, it's repeated twice. He went down into the inner part of the ship, and then he laid down to sleep. If you just put your eyes back up in verse number three, you notice the author uses the word down two more times. You see, Jonah went down to Joppa, down into the boat, down into the belly of the ship, and then he laid down to sleep. And if you're not following what the author is trying to get us to understand, you see the spiritual decline 
that Jonah is walking away from God. He is walking down a path of destruction that leads away from God. He is going down and down and down. And the author wants us to understand that he is going away from the presence of God. And where is he in the inner part of the ship? He's laid down and he's sleeping. And he's snoring so loud, he can't hear the storm. You know anybody who snores that loud? I do. You mean go camping with a certain individual that I know? He puts his, his uh, sleeping bag a mile away. He is loud. That's the kind of guy Jonah is. He is sleeping so sound. He is so defiant and so settled in his defiance. The storm can't wake him. What about the sailors? What are the sailors doing? Notice, these are sailors who are experts. This is not the first rodeo. These guys have sailed the Mediterranean Sea many times and they can count. They know how to handle a ship. They know how to handle a storm. They know what to do when all of this stuff happens. But this storm, this storm's different. There's something different about this storm. They recognize that this is not a natural storm. So what do they do? They're praying. They're praying to every God they can think of. By the way, do you realize there's no atheists on this, board, in, on this boat? There's not a single atheist. Every sailor is calling out to a God, hoping and praying that somebody somewhere out there will pay attention and get them out of this predicament. This is perhaps the first interfaith prayer meeting in history. It is. Everyone's praying. They are scared for their life. The storm is about to destroy the ship, and they are praying. And when those prayers go unanswered, when no one comes to rescue them, what do they do? They jettison the cargo. The cargo is their life. All of their money is tied up in that cargo. They're headed to Tarshish because of the cargo. Without that cargo, they're not making a profit. But when confronted with the dangers of their life, the cargo gets thrown overboard. Isn't it interesting that when the storms of life come and threaten our life, money is the last thing on our minds. Our positions, the things that we desire, those go out the window when we're terrified for our life. These sailors, these veterans throw the cargo off the ship to lighten the ship, hoping against hope to somehow get this ship righted in the middle of the storm, but nothing is happening. And you notice in a dramatic point of irony in verse number Number six, the captain goes down to the belly of the ship. He finds Jonah, and what does he say? He says, arise, call out to your God. I don't know if you noticed, but those words should sound familiar. Where have you heard, arise, call out before? Well, it's back up in verse number two. You see, God said those exact same words to Jonah. And here is the captain in a moment of irony coming down into the belly of the, of the, of the, of the ship, finds the prophet of God sleeping out the storm and says, Get up! Call on your God! Perhaps he'll help us. And does Jonah pray? You can respond. This is, this is okay. You can talk back to me. Does Jonah pray? you realize that when you're living in disobedience, prayer is the last thing you think of. When you're running from God, prayer doesn't come. Jonah has gone down and down, and he's walked away from God, and he's at a point where his heart is so hard, he cannot even pray. Sailors are praying. The captain's praying. But the man of God, silent. He is silent. 
And so, because nothing is helping, and the storm is getting worse, they do the only thing they can do, and that is they decide they're going to cast lots. You see, casting lots was an ancient method of, of seeking to discern, discern the will of God. They're trying to figure out on whose account this storm is happening because they realize something's wrong. This isn't natural. And so they cast lots. Now, this would have been a great place for Jonah to say, Stop, it's me. It's my fault. I'm sorry. Does Jonah do that? Silent again. And so they cast lots. They try to figure out whose fault it is. And guess who wins the lottery? Jonah's the winner. Hey, Jonah. And all of a sudden, the spotlight is on Jonah. And all of the sailors surround him and start to ask him, who are you? Where'd you come from? What do you do? And they're peppering him with question after question. They're trying to figure out why are they in the middle of the storm? Why is it that Jonah is the cause of the storm? Friends, the casting of the lots and the asking of the questions and the praying of these sailors is indicating the fact that these sailors are moving closer and closer to God while Jonah is moving further and further from God. I want you to notice that. That's going to get more apparent in this story. But you realize that when storms come into our life and when struggles and sickness and pain come into our life, the disposition of our heart says a lot about whether or not we truly fear God or not. You see, one of the ways we can respond when struggle comes, when storms come, when threatening things come into our lives, we can stand with our arms crossed in defiance, kind of like a Jonah, and say, God, I'm not listening to you. I'm not going to obey you. I don't care what you want, to, want me to do. I'm not doing it. That's not my plan for my life. I don't want to listen to you. We can shake a fist at God, and we can stand in defiance when that storm comes. We can be like a Jonah. Or we can be like the sailors, that when those storms come and they rattle us and they take us out and that, that issue interrupts our, our plans and our desires and our will, we can either shake our fist or we can get on our knees and throw up our hands and say, Lord, I surrender. Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I know you got this. You see, these sailors, when confronted with the storm sent from heaven, they start asking questions. When storms come into our life, it's okay to ask God questions. It's okay to ask God, God, are you trying to get my attention? Is there something that I did that I should not have done? Or is there something I should do that I haven't done? What is it that I, I need to learn from this storm? Or perhaps, Lord, you're not trying to get my attention. Perhaps you're trying to refine me and trying to mature me into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, what is it you're doing? Ask him. He's not a God who's so far off and so impersonal. He loves you. He's personal. He wants that relationship with you. Talk to him. That's what these sailors attempted to do, and that's what Jonah did not do. If you're fearing God and you have a healthy fear of God, you'll talk to him. You'll ask him the questions. You'll take those questions to the throne room of grace. That's the way you can know that you have a healthy fear of God. A second characteristic of those who fear God is that people who are people who call out to God in their struggle. People who fear God are people who call out to God in their struggle. Notice verse number 9. <clears throat> and he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. 
He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So Jonah, for the first time in this story, says something. Up to this point, Jonah has been completely silent, but now he responds. And what does he do? Against all of the questions that are being sent his way, he starts with an ethnic identity. I am a Hebrew. By the way, he doesn't tell him ever that he's a prophet of God, right? He never says that. And then he says, I fear the Lord of heaven, the maker of heaven and earth. I, I put the word fear in quotes because I think it should be in there. Because I don't believe this is a confession. I believe this is more of a postmodern statement from Jonah. Jonah was way ahead of his time. Because you know what he's saying? He's saying, you have your gods and I have mine. This is the one I worship. You see, if he was really, really, truly fearful of God, would he be running? You can talk to me. It's all right. Would he be running? No. Would he be sleeping? No. So I have to put fear in quotes because the word fear there, he's just using it. He knows all the right words, but his life isn't living. Hey, by the way, remember James <laughs> chapter 2? His words and his actions don't line up, do they? He fears the God of heaven, maker of heaven and earth. But you notice that the word Lord is all capitalized in your Bible. It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. Anytime you see that, it's the covenant name of God that God gave to Moses at the burning bush. It's the covenant name Yahweh. That's the name that Israel calls their God. It's the divine name that was revealed to Moses, given to Israel, the covenant name of God, Yahweh. Anytime you see capital Lord, it means Yahweh. And so Jonah says, I fear Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth. Notice the sailors' reaction. The Bible says they are exceedingly afraid. Literally, they feared a great fear. Because they don't get Jonah. Hey, Jonah, if your God is the God of heaven, and he made the sea and the dry land, what do you think you're doing? That's kind of what he said. What have you done? Think about that for a minute. If God is the God of heaven and he made the sea and the dry land, where do you think you can go from that kind of a God? You can't, can you? Psalm 139, in case you had a doubt, go read it at home. You can't go anywhere from this God. The sailors recognize it. Yahweh, Jonah, you idiot. Why are you running from that kind of God? And they feared a great fear. And those sailors who were afraid of the storm, and those sailors who were afraid for their life, they are now afraid of Jonah's God. They are now afraid of Yahweh. Because they recognize that Yahweh is trying to get this prophet's attention. and He's not listening. Now they're afraid. They're exceedingly afraid. Afraid, And in verse number 11, they asked Jonah, what do we do with you? What do we do to you to calm the storm? You know, this would have been a great time to say, hey guys, it's not you, it's me. It's my fault. And get down on his knees. Great time to repent. Lord, I'm sorry for things. Hey guys, turn this boat around. 
Let's go back to Joppa. I got a mission to complete in Nineveh. He could have done that, right? If he had done that, what would have happened to the storm? It have stopped. Or he could have thrown himself overboard, couldn't he? Like he could have jumped overboard. But that's not what he does. What does he say? You guys pick me up and throw me overboard and the storm will cease. Does he care about these sailors? I don't think so. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about God's call. He doesn't care about the ship. He doesn't care about these sailors. He doesn't care about anybody. In fact, he would rather die than go to Nineveh and preach. He'd rather drown in the Mediterranean Sea than obey the call of God. Maybe some of you are here and you're running from God because you'd rather die than do what God told you to do. You'd rather die than obey the voice of God that called you into ministry, that called you to witness, that called you to call somebody, that called you to make amends, that called you to forgive, that challenged whatever you had in your mind, and you're like, nope, I'd rather die. Friends, Jonah, Jonah could have easily stopped this whole thing, could have easily turned this around, could have easily gone and done what God had said, but he is so obstinate, so defiant, so hard-hearted, he would rather die than obey God. What do the sailors do? Notice verse 13. They don't want to throw him overboard. Because throwing him overboard means Jonah is going to die. They don't want him to die. And so the Bible says they dig in their oars deeper and they begin to row harder and harder. And they're trying to get to dry land as fast as they physically can. They're rowing as hard as they can. And the Bible says they're making no headway because the storm gets stronger. And now the sailors are backed up in a corner. They're out of time. They're out of choices, they're out of options, and they're stuck. This storm is about to destroy this ship and destroy their lives. They've only got one answer left, one place to go. And so, in contrast to Jonah, Jonah who knows God, Jonah who knows what's going on, Jonah who understands what Yahweh wants, Jonah wants nothing to do with any of that. But these sailors, what did they do? They cry out to Yahweh. They say, Yahweh, please don't put the blood of this man on us. And then they make an astounding statement. They say, you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. Remember, these are pagans. These are people who don't know Yahweh. These are people who don't worship Yahweh. They worshiped all of their other gods. But here in the midst of the storm, when life has threatened to destroy them, they're afraid of Jonah's God. And now they're calling out to Yahweh and say, Yahweh, forgive us for what we're about to do. Because you are sovereign. We recognize your sovereignty. Friends, when storms come into our life, do we recognize that God is sovereign? We sang a song, you have no rival, you have no equal, now and forever. We sang that song, right? Can I just make it more personal? You sang that song. Do you believe it? Do you? 
Do you realize that he has no rivals? He has no equal. That you cannot trump God. That he is sovereign and he has a plan. He has a plan for your life and mine. And he is orchestrating things so that when that storm comes, when that pain comes, when that sickness comes, when cancer comes, when whatever happens in your life that threatens your life, that he is sovereign. That through that storm, he knows your pain. That he put it there. That he's got you in the palm of his hand. Friends, you know you have a healthy fear of God. When in the midst of the storm, you can look up at God and say, Lord, I know you got this. I don't understand it. I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. It hurts. But you got this. You know that you have reverential fear. When you, in the midst of your storm, can cry out to God and recognize that he is the God of the storm. Jonah, who knew God, who knew what was going on, refused to acknowledge God, but these sailors cried out to God and declared his sovereignty. I pray that in the midst of all of our storms, we too can declare the sovereignty of an almighty God. Now that brings me to the third characteristic of those who fear God. Those who fear God are people who respond to God with submissive worship. Notice verse number 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. These sailors aren't left with many options. In fact, they're left with no other option. The only option they've got left is to pick Jonah up, throw him overboard. And that's what they do. They pick him up, and they throw him overboard. You know, for Jonah, the waters are not a good thing. In fact, when you study the Old Testament and you look at what the Israelites believe about the sea, the sea is the place of chaos. It's the realm of the dead. And so for Jonah to want to be thrown into the sea says that he is come, basically coming to the bottom of the barrel. He's going as low as he can go. He is descending into the depths of the grave. And so for Jonah, as he hits the water and as he sinks under the water, he's symbolically dying. And his sacrifice calms the storm and saves the sailors and saves the boat. But for Jonah, he is in the water, in the realm of the dead. And in verse number 17, you see God has appointed a great fish to come and swallow him. Every time you see the word swallow, you see God's judgment. So, yes, the great fish is a vehicle for Jonah's salvation three days and three nights later. But it's a judgment as that fish comes at God's call to obey God's word against a prophet who refuses to obey. That's Jonah descending down, down, down to die. But do you notice the sailors? What's the sailors' response? As soon as that man is thrown overboard, the sea is still. The storm ceases instantly. That storm is done. The winds are gone. The waves are back to normal. The sea is calm. Life is good. They should have just gotten on with their life, right? But that's not what they do. Do you notice what they do? Their response 
is a response of fear. Not any old kind of fear. It's the fear of faith. You see, these men who worshipped their own gods, who were pagans, who were idolaters, they started the story with ignorant fear. They were afraid of the circumstances. They were afraid of the storm. <coughs> they were afraid for their life. Ignorant fear. But ignorant fear gave way to informed fear when they recognized Jonah's God. When they recognized that it was Jonah's God that was bringing that storm. And that informed fear gave way to submissive fear. Because now after the storm is done and the winds and the waves are gone and the sea is calm, they are now sacrificing to Yahweh. They are sacrificing to God, this God whom they learned to fear. This God who has power over the winds and the waves. And not only did they sacrifice, but they made vows. You see, this is not a foxhole testimony. This is not a foxhole conversion. This is authentic. Do you know why? Because now the sea is calm. They could have just gone on to Tarshish and lived their life. But no, they take time to worship. Why? Because they saw the power of God. They saw the hand of God. And as soon as Jonah was overboard, the storm was gone. And they feared God exceedingly. And they offered him worship. <clears throat> this story should remind us of another story. About another boat on another sea. You see, centuries after this story was written. There was another boat on another sea. And on that boat, there were 12 men. And they were caught in a violent storm. And in the back of that boat was another man who was sleeping soundly. And those 12 men woke up the sleeping man and said, Don't you care that we perish? And that sleeping man woke up, saw the winds and the waves, and he said, Peace, be still. And immediately the sea calmed. You remember the response? The response was awe and fear. And they said to one another, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? You remember the name of that man? His name was Jesus. How unlike Jonah. How totally opposite Jonah. Jonah, the reluctant prophet, the disobedient prophet, the prophet who was more willing to die than obey God. Jesus, on the other hand, left the glory of heaven. Came down into this world to plunge headfirst into the sea of the wrath of God against sin. Why? Because he loved you and he loved me. Jesus went to a cross, not reluctantly, but willingly. Every step taken purposefully to the cross to hang on there, to bleed, to die, to say, it is finished. Why? Because he saw you and he saw me and he pursues you and he pursues me because he loves us. Jesus. How different Jesus is to Jonah. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? So much different and so better and so worthy of our worship. Friends, when the storms come, and they will. When sickness comes, and it will. When trials come, they will. Do you have the fear of an almighty God to recognize his sovereignty, to bend the knee and to worship him and to rec recognize that he is the God who has the power over the storm, that he has the power over the sea. He has the power over the sickness. He has the power over our struggle, that he is God, and that we can worship him 
He who has no rival, he who has no equal, that now and forever he reigns, that you can worship him. Amen? Amen. In a book titled Run, Baby, Run, a story about a man named Nicky Cruz. Nicky was born in Puerto Rico, born to a family who were Satan worshipers, into witchcraft, into brutal violence. And it was into that dark, horrible, violent home that Nicky grew up. That led to a life of violence and chaos and brutality that led to addiction in drugs and alcohol and all the rest. They immigrated to New York and he fought his way to become the leader of the most notorious gang in the slums of New York. When you saw Nicky Cruz walking by, you ran for your life because you knew brutal violence was about to break out. And it was in the middle of all of his hatred and all of his anger and all of his violence that a pastor named David Wilkerson confronted him, confronted him with the gospel. And what was Nicky's response? He spit in his face, punched him in the face, and then beat him up. Then he said, if you ever talk to me about Jesus Christ again, I will kill you. David Wilkerson, laying there, bloodied and bruised, said, even if you cut me up into a thousand pieces and throw me into the street, every one of those pieces will still love you. Nicky was shocked. How can he say that? How can that ever be true? And Nicky left the scene and he went home. And for the next several weeks, he couldn't sleep at night because that played over and over and over again in his mind. How can somebody love like that? Who is this Jesus? And questions get bubbling and bubbling and bubbling, and after a couple of weeks of sleepless nights, he couldn't take it anymore. More. He, took, he saw that there was a revival or a rally being held by David Wilkerson nearby. He took a couple of his gang members, and he went to that rally thinking to put an end to everything. And there, as he sat in the back, listening to the pastor preach, he was confronted with the gospel. Confronted by the love of a God who pursues the runaway, who pursues those who have a hard heart who pursues the unlovable. And there at the end of that service, Nicky Cruz, this violent, brutal, evil man, confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ, bent his knee and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And so did all of his gang members. <clears throat> Friends, God now uses Nicky to travel the world preaching the love of God to thousands of people who have no hope outside of Jesus Christ. Friends, no matter where you are in life, no matter how far you have run, no matter how fast you have run, you can never outrun the grace of God. Amen? You cannot sin your way out of God's love. You cannot walk out on God's love. You cannot find a hole deep enough to, to escape God's love. He's right there. He'll find you because he knows where you are. He finds you. He loves you. He knows you. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, can I humbly remind you that he went to the cross for you? That he died a death, a cruel and horrible death, a death he didn't deserve. He died for you. He died for me. If you're here today and you have never made that confession of faith, can I ask that it starts with saying, Lord, I'm sorry. Sorry for the things I've done. I repent. I turn around. I'm so sorry. I'm like a Jonah, God. I've said no to you so often. I've run away from you. I have a hard heart. I'm sorry for the things I've done. 
But now I turn to you and I bend my knee at the cross and I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Would you save me? The Bible says, the moment you do, you will be saved. And the peace of God and the love of God and the grace of God will flood your soul and you will be adopted into the family of God. You will have a new life. I firmly believe that those sailors on the boat we will see in heaven. This Jonah who wanted nothing to do with preaching to the Ninevites, those pagans in Nineveh, became the catalyst in God's humor and irony to save a boat full of pagan sailors. Isn't that how our God works? I love that story. Because no matter how many times you and I fail in life, God is still sovereign. And can God use all of our messes for his glory. Amen? I encourage you, if you know Jesus Christ, to live in reverential fear. That when storms come, when things don't make sense, take our questions to him. Cry out to him. And then bow in worship and say, God, I adore you. I worship you. This doesn't feel good, but you got this. Father, I thank you. Thank you, you will have no rival. I thank you that you have no equal. And therefore, we worship you. And we lift up our voices to you. And we're going to sing a song in worship. But Lord, I pray for any heart here that doesn't know you yet. That you would intersect their life even now. That you would bring them to your soul. That you would rescue them out of the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of light. That today would be a day of rejoicing. That a kingdom of God would come in their life. And then for all of us who do know and love you, that we would respond to you with reverential fear. That we would submit our life in faith and worship knowing that you are sovereign. Sovereign over the storm. Sovereign over our lives. Sovereign over the universe. And that we would lift up our voices in song and worship and praise to the God who is so worthy of our worship. And we'll be careful to give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said,